When we go see a manufacturer, there's no two that are the same. So we'll go see a CNC mill shop and you think, well, this is going to be the same as the other one. And the way that they source material, the way that they finish material, it all varies. And when they have those types of differences, it varies the types of coverages and, and the way we have to apply things because it's, it's a whole new operation that needs specific and a la carte type of coverage. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metalworking Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Hello, Metalworking Nation. Jim here at Making Chips. So glad you guys tuned in to hear us today. Um, I'm in our back in our Chicago studio uh, with my good friend and connoisseur of fine food, Jason Zanger. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Yeah, it's great to be back here in Chicago. Traveling, you know, kind of wears on you a little bit. We traveled two weeks in a row, and it was, it was tiring. It was I tiring. know, it's I nice know. I, I, can, I can't imagine it doing doing it all the time. I but, know, um, I know. Actually, it was great seeing our friends out at Sandvik. I really enjoyed uh, that trip, and I enjoyed the people oh, that we met great. out there. It was great. They've got, they've got a, uh, a dynamic brand, and they're really a great culture. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was great to, to meet with the, with the folks at Sandvik. They treated us well. We had a great time spending the day with them. Uh, you and I got um, a chance to spend a couple hours in Manhattan. We went to the uh, 9-11 Memorial. Oh, that was, it was cool. a lot of fun. That was cool. So, yeah, it was um, it, it was a great day. I've So far in my life, I know Jim and I, <laughs> I have talked about this. Say. <laughs> I spent I spent like four hours in Manhattan about 20 years ago, and then I spent about three or four hours, you know, last <laughs> week. And so I think by the time I die, I'll have spent like a full 24 hours in, in Manhattan. We got to so, work on that. Yeah, I know. We got to work on that. We just need yeah. some more East Coast. Um, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Interviews. Yeah, there you go. Maybe if Sandvik invites us out again. We can uh, maybe spend a day out there. You yeah, know? it'd you be bet. better. You bet. So I, you know, I, I want to share with you and the Metalworking Nation what I always do at this time of the show, and it's talk about some relevant manufacturing news. And how do I get my manufacturing news, Jason? Uh, you, well, you sleep with your phone. So, I do. I do. Know, I'm, it's, I'm, it's always I'm scrolling, scrolling in the middle of the night. Yeah, it's right exactly. Next, it's right I know. Next to me. I don't know how you My do that. My wife's not happy about yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know how you do that. Yeah, yeah. But mine's mine's like way far away from me. And you it's know what? Off I, I, and I have to say, I know this is not relevant to manufacturing news, but. For as often as that phone is in your hand, I cannot believe you can give it up and put it oh, away. Oh, I could, I can absolutely give it up. And I'm actually hours. thinking about getting rid of my smartphone. Oh. I might just get like a regular. I think phone. we're going to have to devote a full uh, podcast to that. <laughs> That'll be interesting. So, Jason, remember when we had uh, Brian Panic from Panic Precision on uh, way back? Yeah, we in talked the, about in robots the, in the early years. Yep. Yeah. So he actually sent me an email the other day with a link to um, a Fox News article that quoted former McDonald's USA CEO saying $35,000 robots are cheaper than hiring people at $15 per hour. That's it goes on. true. I know. How about that? It That's going to be quite impactful. the robot, too. I mean, a $35,000 robot is that's a really not sophisticated th robot. I mean, that's a lot of money to spend on a robot. Right. Well, I, d I don't know what the average price is on a robot, but... Um, 
I, when you think about $35,000, I mean, what what is a full-time, well, a full-time employee making $15 an hour is more than 35000 Absolutely. Right? So it pays for itself that quick. I mean, really, I mean, that's pretty, it's pretty scary to think about the next time you go through the drive-thru, a robot's going to hand you your fries and burgers. Yeah, and you, you better be right? careful and not start asking me for more money. I'm going to replace you with a robot. <laughs> That would be interesting. <laughs> Does a robot have charisma, though, like I do? I guess not. No, it doesn't. <laughs> so, anyway, I just I thought this was an interesting uh, article to read. You know, it's crazy for me, being a middle-aged guy, to actually even have people talk about and write about robots in fast food industries serving you, but... When I think about it now, it certainly doesn't seem like it's out of the scope. Yeah, at all. I mean, it just goes to show that you do need to look at automation and robotics Seriously. in your business. I mean, we use robots. I mean, you we have we have vending vending systems absolutely. that we that That's we install our customers. Technology. Yeah, absolutely, it is. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it doesn't have arms. No, you know, and it doesn't have legs, but it's a robot. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely cool. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you, and we'll have uh, Ryan put the link to this article um, on this week's episode. Yeah. So, Jim, I, I, yeah. I actually got a complaint from a listener. No. About you. Why? <laughs> I talk too loud. <laughs> well, you do talk too loud, but that's okay. not it. Um, so my, my sister called me very upset because the one time that she gets mentioned on the phone, your statement about her is that she made a mistake <laughs> on something. <laughs> she was not very – she's one of our most loyal listeners, and, you know, she wa- she listens oh, to every Lisa. episode really? as soon as it comes out, and she was very upset that you – the one time that you mentioned her, it was about her, uh, this fictitious story about Lisa, her making a mistake. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do that. So, yeah, I told her that I would ask for a um, public apology to her. <laughs> I, I publicly apologized to Lisa. and But, you know, that was a fictitious thing. But still, it was, I should have been, it was. I should have been more crafty with my words uh, when I was creating that scenario. Yeah, so we did, we, did, we needed to rectify that, like, here on the show and, Don, and make it right. Don, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, not, it's definitely not my persona to hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> no, she was, she was okay. I was just, she, she wasn't That's upset. Lisa, Lisa is, a, um, is a professional woman working in the manufacturing industry, so she has definitely can, you know, take take it from, you know, she's learned to have broad shoulders, I guess, in, sure. in this industry, you know? So you have to. You, you can't do. you can't be thin skinned, you, you know? Gotta be tough. So you gotta be tough. Yep. Exactly. So anyway. Well, she you want me to introduce our guests? Not yet. I want no, you to wait, talk no. about oh, I yeah. want you to talk about the Mastermind oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. series. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we actually you and I um spent quite a few hours last night working through this thing and planning this out. I mean, um, I'm really excited about what this is going to be. The more we talk about it, the more excited I get about it. Absolutely. I think it's going to be really a compelling two days of two different kinds of days of equipping and inspiring. Yeah, we're going to, I mean, our goal is to elevate the um, manufacturing leaders and, you know, it's going to be a great two days. We're going to laugh. We're going to cry. We're going to, you know, we're, we're going to... Get a lot of work done. I've never you know? seen you cry before. Uh, well, maybe you will. Yeah. <laughs> into, at, at, during these two days, but you have to be at this, you know, two-day mastermind and workshop in order to see that. Right. So, so just for everyone that doesn't know already, that doesn't listen to the show until today, it is Tuesday, September thirteenth. Going to be in downtown Chicago, and Friday, uh, excuse me, Wednesday, September fourteenth, at the same venue in downtown Chicago. We're we're kind of doing this in conjunction with IMTS because. We feel as though there's going to be a lot of manufacturing leaders in town that week, and why not take an opportunity, take an extra day, come sit with us, learn something. There's going to be huge takeaways, and there's more information on both of those seminars in the future, and we will let you know. Absolutely. With that, IMTS, man, I can't believe it. It's like 12 weeks away. Do you realize it's only 12? I know. I know. 
I know it's great. Well, I'm really focused on the next five weeks. So, you know, that to me, that's like a whole nother lifetime. World. Yeah, that's a lifetime away to get to IMTS. I got a baby coming in five weeks. So 12 weeks from now is just, you know, that's that's like off my radar until we I sit can down imagine. here. So, yeah, but I am absolutely looking forward to it. I mean, I get excited every time IMTS comes around. Quarter of a million people coming. Quarter of a million people. I mean, that's crazy. 1.4 million square feet of space they're going to be occupying. And we're going to be there, too. We're going to be two yes. days. We're going to be there Monday and Thursday. We're going to be broadcasting, talking to people right there in the middle of it all. And uh, they can come and see our faces and talk with us and interface with us and, and tell us what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. Yeah, that'll be fun. I'd like to do a lot of interviews while we're there, talk to you know um, the Metalworking Nation and get some feedback. And just it's going to be a great time. I Absolutely. Agree. I agree, man. So anyway, we have got a great, great, great episode today. Uh, two distinguished VIP guests are here in our studio, and um, they're going to be talking about things that are really relevant to manufacturers across the, the country. And um, I'm going to just hand it over to Jason and let Jason do the honors and tell the Metalworking Nation who we have. Yeah, so I'm going to introduce our guests, and then I'm also going to talk about the reason why we invited him to the show. I think that's so, a um, good idea. We, like, like Jim said, we have um, Steve and Mark both here in the studio. How are you guys doing? Good. Great. Great. Great to have you. So Steve is um, Steve and Mark are both um, insurance professionals. So Steve has been in the insurance agency for 25 years, and he has been working um, you know, dedicated to the manufacturing industry. Um, he's a graduate from Drake University with a degree in insurance. I actually didn't know that that was a degree that you could get, but um, so you are certified. He's also a certified insurance counselor and a certified risk manager. So Steve actually does have manufacturing in his blood because his father was the general manager at a tool and die company for over 50 years. The same company over 50 years. Over 50 years, wow, the same company. Did you spend some time there? I did. I did. I was a grunt for okay. the most part. You okay. know, I did did all the but you know i was around manufacturing three of my uncles are dye makers that oh, all great in the, in the company so um i've kind of grown up around him and uh Picking up around them, really, yeah, there you go, <laughs> and clean, yeah, there cleaning you go. up, cleaning clean. parts, things like that. So that was my job. That's great. That's great. And um, Mark is also a licensed professional insurance broker with extensive expertise in manufacturing. Mark graduated from Illinois State with a BS in business administration, and Mark has insurance in his blood because his parent, your parents, have been working in the insurance industry prior oh, to you being since in since World War II. Wow, that's amazing. Wow. And there's great. probably a dozen of us in the insurance industry in the Chicagoland area. Great, no great. Kidding. So we've got somebody with insurance in their blood and somebody with manufacturing in their blood, and that's great. Great. You guys are perfect to have on the show. So both Steve and Mark work for the Daniel and Henry Company, which was founded in 1921, and it's one of the top 100 brokers in the United States, employing 175 people and placing more than $220 million in annual premiums. So that's that's a lot. That's a lot. It's of, quite a, a lot of ma- it's quite a bit. It's a lot of manufacturing risk experience. Yes, it is. It really is. So the reason that we invited you guys to the show was actually because we received an email from um, from somebody in the metalworking nation who had a question about insurance. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read that email to you guys right now, and then we're gonna talk about his name. By the way, is Rob. Trout. So um, the gentleman that emailed us was Rob Trout from Elva Prototypes. So we, Elva Prototypes, are a small startup. One thing that has been killing us is business and liability insurance. 
Our niche has always been medical device R&D and prototyping, but the insurance companies treat us as an FDA-registered manufacturer of implantable devices. It's been tough finding a carrier that gets us and what we do. Maybe you guys can bring a manufacturing insurance specialist as a guest. Thanks and keep up the great podcast from Rob Trout. Well, Rob, thank you for yeah, um, really. writing into us. We I mean, love we appreciate when, the feedback. We really do. Yeah, we love when the listeners reach out to us and, and let us know what's on, you know, on their plate and where their pain points are. Yeah, at. I mean, Jim and I have a huge list of future podcast ideas, but you know, to be quite honest with you, our priority is is this kind is of this? feedback that exactly. we get. We always want to take care of this. This is real-time yeah, stuff. Yeah, we want to hear from our listeners yeah. and from the metalworking nation and know what's bothering them. Exactly, exactly. But so, before we get onto that question, okay, great. I just I just have a couple questions for Steve and Mark, and I know you guys well, and again, thank you for coming. It's a pleasure to, to have you today, and um, I'm really looking forward to, to the show. How do you guys work together? I mean, I mean, so how did, how did this come? I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm writing down some questions. I'm like, you know, I wonder how 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 did this collaborative uh, friendship or working relation come together? Felix and Ox, Felix, guy, is it Felix, Felix, and Felix, Oscar. Felix and Oscar a little bit? Yes, definitely. Who's Felix and Oscar? Uh, oh, the Odd Couple. The Odd Couple. Oh, oh no, no. Here we're, we go. We're again. Oh, the, the, <laughs> wait. That's Google not, it, Jason. Oh, that's all right. You guys got to keep the uh, the references, you know, okay, post right. 1950s. No, no, no. There, well, on a side note here, uh, we were doing a safety peer group uh, for our association, and Steve mentioned a Yugo. Oh, you want to buy a Yugo or you want to buy a Cadillac? And I looked and I had a millennial next to me. Didn't have a I clue what a Yugo was. Right. Yeah. Right. Or Felix or Ryan Oscar. Doesn't, Ryan doesn't Ryan know what a Yugo is. Daniel shaking his head. No, he didn't. Well, there you go. That's a good thing. Yeah, I guess so. You're right. So tell, tell us, how, how, did, how did this collaboration Well, believe together? it or not, Mark and I have been working together for 17 years now. Okay. So, um, and the way it kind of worked out is that um, he was working with an association. So he came to me and he's like, you know, I think we have this opportunity. And um, we actually work really well together. I mean, we, we share ideas, we collaborate. You know, when we go out and see something that uh, is unique, we come back, we share it, we talk about it. Um, we, we find a way to kind of make sure that we're doing the absolute best for each and every client. So it's not one head working on it. It's two people working on it and trying to figure out the best solutions for everybody. Do you guys have different like um, strengths that, you know, just you do better in one case and you do better in another? Is that why? Absolutely. I think, and I think we have different perceptions, you know, I'll pick up on something and then he'll pick up on something else. And together when we, we talk about it, we get a clear picture of, of what the exposures are and making sure that we have everything buttoned down. Great. Yeah. Cause I know like between Jim and I, yeah. I mean, the one thing, I mean, we work well together because we, really do. we do have different strengths. I mean, um, Jim's better at like being actionable and getting stuff done, whereas I'm better at, you know, the ideas and the kind of what this is going to look like in the future. And so we just kind of work better that way. So I'm not I'm not necessarily as good at, you know, um, figuring out how to get things done. And Jim Jim's strength is not, you know, well, what's the you know, what does this look like three years from now? So it, it just works. And you I need could them not both, agree with you know, more, my friend. So, yeah. I, and, uh, you know, when we work together, too, like I think one of Steve's strengths is he's very strategic. I have a tendency to be a little more technical when it comes to IT. And when you're dealing, we work together on this association. There's over a thousand members that we have to engage. 
And for us, it's been a, a tremendous learning curve. I mean, um, you know, we had experience in manufacturing, but when you're talking to a thousand different members plus a thousand, I mean, there there are people outside the association in manufacturing that we work with. We've seen you know so many different types of processes, so many different types of of of, of things that are our people are doing, and it's all unique. When we go see a manufacturer, there's no two that are the same. So we'll go see a CNC mill shop, and you think, well, this is going to be the same as the other one. And the way that they source material, the way that they finish material, what they have to make, how they maybe have to do some assembly work, uh, it all varies. And when they have those types of differences, it varies the types of coverages and, and the way we have coverages to apply change. things because it's it's a whole new, uh, you know, operation that needs, you know, specific and and um, it's it, a la carte type of coverage. When you're engaging an insurance broker, uh, usually what ends up happening is an insurance broker will ha- will be what we call on our side a generalist. So they'll do they'll do a barber shop, they'll do a retail place, they might do a small manufacturing place, they might do you know a construction place. And what we've found out over the past three years is when you focus in on a niche almost extensively in manufacturing you know your walk you know your broker's going to walk in a different broker walk in and he won't know the difference between a stamping operation and edm operation you know and a broaching operation he's just going to throw you into the manufacturing right. box and each one of these has a different effect you know for example if we're talking yeah, stampers a- are you know there's probably a lot more risk in stamping i would assume than you know broaching it, 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 it depends i would i was yeah, yeah there's yeah. probably a lot of stampers maybe there isn't but i've been in a lot of stamping shops that i you know i, I can imagine a lot of fingers you know yeah, they, 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 they we <laughs> do missing. miss some every now and then um but you're also looking at a situation for example like a, like, like a like a weagle that's a very safe stamping operation but i've been in oh, yeah, other do. stampers they're... that you, wow there's you know i can't believe osha hasn't you know taken them Shut down, them down. Already, yeah, you know? know yeah and you know the thing is is that what we and part of our services is that we deal with that all the time through the workers compensation and you know we we constantly preach that we just want people to go home safe at the end of the day and so we have our own OSHA certified instructor on staff that works with the members and works with our insureds to make sure that they have all the safety protocols in place. It helps us get a better insurance policy, but it really helps them operate safely, you know, keeping a very valuable asset because these these employees, uh, you know, are, are harder and harder to find and to keep them healthy and coming, you know, back and forth to work and back to their families is really important. So ultimately, you actually want to drive down the revenue oh, that, yeah. that you guys um, get from your, from your right, customers? Right, because it ends up being longer term revenue. I but agree. Talking about our... We, we uh, kind of look at our the way we sell tooling to our customers in much the same way. It's, mm-hmm. you know, you want to drive that, that spend down, not drive it up. Right, because you know? eventually they'll spend more. And looking That's a good at philosophy. Uh, That's and a uh, side note here again for no. Jim with our OSHA, our OSHA compliance safety uh, individual. He went out to gym shop and he passed with flying colors. Well, thank you for saying <laughs> that, Mark. I appreciate that. No, I, I'm pretty proud of what we do at no, Car Machine and Tool, and you know we take safety very seriously. And of course, when the insurance broker does show up and. I'm more than happy to show them my shop because we have things in place that a shop my size would not normally have. Yeah, and that makes our job easier. Good. Right. And that's what we want. I mean, we really want things to be uneventful. So, I mean, it's it, it really does make our job easier when things are uneventful and we keep the pricing very competitive. And if you think about it, it is designed for a long-term relationship that way. You bet. 
So, you know, my, my question was, do, does did Daniel and Henry have a shift in their focus with regards to they're going to be pursuing the manufacturing industry um, because they felt there was a deficit there? It was underserved? Um, you know, I think it, it, it's, you know, there's, there's so many insurance agents. And if you talk to different manufacturers, they're like, I get 20 calls a week. Um, and so the, it's, it's a pretty wide um, you know, uh, group out there that's drawing, uh, that's going after manufacturing, but it's really the depth that we had to go. So when we talk about, what do you mean mean the depth? So when we talk about like the difference in different manufacturing and different processes, the issue is, and, and this question is a good example of that, is that people get lumped into a category. Oh. And, and so Without knowing the, I mean, the, like a sick code or Nexus code or, or something. Or, uh, but it's without knowing the detail, without knowing the minutia of what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. How can I truly go back to an insurance company and make your argument for you? Are how you, do I? Are you do, a completed parts manufacturer? Are you a component parts manufacturer? There's a huge difference what between tier, the two. What tier are you? Right. And all that matters. So when you have to go deep into understanding not only the process, whether, you know, it's Swiss machining, mold manufacturers, stamping, grinding, welding, whatever your process is, in understanding what your your product is and what that end product is, understanding the full depth of it is really going to come back and help us make a better argument to an insurance company because an underwriter is there to underwrite a risk to avoid exposure to the carrier. Right. Yeah, and ultimately the underwriter can only go by what kind of information they right. have. Exactly. So they've got some kind of actuary that that's putting together statistics. Right. Is that was that was, is that's that exactly right. right. And, and they're and if it's if they're say okay, well this is a stamper, and he's like okay, well I'm going to look at where those numbers lie with stampers. But if if you get more detail and you actually understand the manufacturing industry, you can actually make a pitch for lowering that rate. Right. Definitely. And I know like you know some of, some of the friends that we do have in the stamping industry that run very professional organizations like we just mentioned. Um, they their risk their rates should be lower because of you know what they've done in their shops in order Absolutely. to lower their risks. Yeah, what ends up happening, especially if you're talking a stamper or you're talking a component part manufacturer, and Steve and I have been wrestling with this whenever we, when we started dealing with our association, who is made up, I would guesstimate, Jim, what eighty five percent our component part manufacturers. Right, I would say absolutely. And what ends up happening from our end is underwriters have a tendency to underwrite the final product. Mm -hmm. So if you are a component manufacturer for an automobile uh, piece, whatever that may be. An assembly. Right. Right. And you're you're a tier three supplier. The underwriter doesn't care. You're an automotive risk and is it critical and how much and blah, blah, blah. And our job is to educate them. Sometimes they assess you as though you're Ford or your GM. Yeah, that's kind of probably related to the email that we got from right. Rob is, you know, he's being, you know, rated like he's selling an implantable device when he's doing prototyping and R&D and he's not taking on the same risk that the OEM is going to be taking right. on. That, that's a perfect example. And so in this situation, you look at it like, you know, who's specking out the, the product? Who's designed it? Are you just following the specifications to whatever they provide it to you? If the answer is yes to that, now your liability just drops. Yeah, if you can make if you make that part with intolerance and you can prove that, that's right. Then you know you shouldn't assume that risk because his customer is the one that actually spec that out. And what you really have to prove is that you manufactured to the spec. Can you show that you did it exactly to the specifications that they gave you? If they did, 
then your liability again is reduced because you did exactly what they told you to do and they plugged it into whatever they were going to plug it into. So, it, you know, that really reduces it down. Mark was um, mentioning earlier that when we first got into it, we ran into this all the time. And so we wound up going out and on our own dime hiring a product liability attorney. And we said to him, look, we're, we're having an issue um, that we have these component manufacturers that are being assessed to the end product. And we want to know the, the really, is there an exposure to this? And can you go back and look at case law to see that the component guy was held liable to these things? And literally, he wrote this, this, this white paper for us, and the title of it, Mark. Well, what ha- I, I love the title he put on it was looking at component parts, manufacturing, and product liability risk the sheep in wolf's clothing. Mm-hmm. So he flipped it. Because <laughs> like it. what underwriters do is look at that risk, as we were talking earlier, the final product, and really it's a sheep. It really is. It really is. It yeah. Really is. It is. yeah, it's not a wolf. You're right. And, it is. It's, and again, when you're focusing in on manufacturing like we are, we spend so much time, edu- and believe me, over and over again, Over right? and over again. We're constantly educating insurance companies because they are so risk adverse. And the more you are working in this environment, the easier it is to say the same thing over and over again. But you, usually we get a positive response. So when you're talking about medical products. Yeah, so, I mean, let's let's get to this guy's question. How could you guys He's patient, help isn't he, waiting so long? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I just think it's an appropriate time to start talking yeah, about it sure. now because now I, I get it. I get what you're saying, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about how my own company reacts and does parts and makes parts. And I think we've even had this conversation mm. already in my facility. Sure. I didn't know it related directly to medical, but mm-hmm. so go ahead. So how what, can Rob mitigate this problem? So there's two issues here. First off, it's medical devices. Secondly, it's RD prototype, R&D prototype. So the prototype is actually a far less exposure to an end product because the usage of that is kind of really to show that they can make this thing and be effective in making it. And so the, it's not going to really be put to practical use. Uh, in most cases, that what we, what it's we not look day at, in, day you're out. not going to have yes. a consumer that's going to no, you know that's no, a lawsuit on this. It's right. whether or not the product's functional. So exactly. most in, most insurance companies come back to us and say, you know, if it's a proto, you know, when they immediately see medical, aerospace, aviation, they start backing up. But if we say, well, it's prototype, and this is what they're doing. Then immediately they say, oh, prototype. Well, the exposure is far, far less in a prototype situation. As long as they're only doing prototypes, we'll have an appetite for that. Okay. When it comes to medical, there's actually something yeah. a little further on that. Yeah. What, what we were surprised with, uh, again, when we had this white paper, uh, the attorney called me and he was, he goes, I'm surprised. He goes, my specialty is product liability. And he wasn't even aware of, a law and it's a federal law in the regarding medical devices and when you're looking at medical devices in the 90s and late 80s there was so much litigation over implantable devices that a lot of manufacturers were withdrawing from the market and the result of that was you had medical advances being stopped or being slowed down so 
because Believe they it, were they, 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 there was nobody was too, to do it. Really? So if I'm down and I need somebody to go out and make so you're t- this the, the technology kind of paused for a while. Right. Okay. And Congress, back when they used to do something useful, <laughs> right? Um, they passed what's called the Biomaterials Access Assurance Act, and this defense product liability defense attorney didn't even know about this law but what this law does is it gives immunity to individuals who manufacture an implantable device if it's a component piece done to specifications from an oem right it's done to print everything's made to print so what you're looking at here and when you read when we've got done digging down in this is that you know the courts are looking at this as how can we hold a component part manufacturer responsible for a product liability situation that they're going to take a piece that's made to my to the customer specifications that leaves my shop and now it's going to go through another two three manufacturing processes before you have a finished product how can i be held responsible right because I can't control that environment. Exactly. The, now, from this listener's point of view, unfortunately, he's going to have to take this podcast and educate his broker. It, it, that's what it sounds. I already th- I th- thought that's probably what he will do is just say, tell his broker to listen to this show so he can, you know, help bring down his insurance. So right. effectively, Mr. Trout's uh, exposure is about the exposure of a paperclip on his products. Because there's really no exposure to the insurance company that they could get, you know, uh, hit for a product liability because he's doing medical and because he's doing prototypes and because he's a component manufacturer. All those things kind of equal the fact that he really has no exposure whatsoever. And why do you think that this is? I mean, do you think it's because, I mean, I don't know how any other way to say this because the broker just isn't taking the extra step they don't understand manufacturing well, like no, what is it I, I would i would go along the lines of and i don't want to really get into insurance you know tech insurance technology or insurance jargon but what underwriters are really very very scared of is it's called violating their reinsurance clause and insurance companies have other insurance carriers that automatically pick up risks on the book. Right. So it's a contract basically insurance companies right. insuring insurance it's companies. It's a contract that's written once a year. And that's that's called their reinsurance treaties. Hmm. And underwriters are wow. very, very, very cautious about violating that. And the treaties don't go as, as in-depth as we did here. So they say you can't do any medical implantable devices. Well, yeah, but yeah, that's and, not what we're making here, right? <laughs> I'm, not- I'm making something that I'm selling to ABC, who's selling it to the company who does the Da Vinci. It, and what we were talking about earlier, though, with uh, with going deeper into the process and understanding the manufacturing, um, you know, you can kind of look back at the broker and saying maybe he didn't ask the right questions, maybe he didn't dig deep enough in the right spots to understand that the product that he has is really not an exposure that is is to be concerned about. And that broker then has to sell that concept to the underwriter. The underwriter needs to, as Mark mentioned, protect the insurance company. And that's going to be protecting it from the front line, the, 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 the primary loss, but then also through the reinsurers on that excess loss. They have to make sure that they're not violating anything. 
And it's our job to, to educate them and make sure that they under, have the right information to make that decision. Right, because, I mean, underwriters aren't salespeople, so they don't really care oh, whether no, they get not. the job no. or not. They're <laughs> almost trying to, like, stop you guys from, you know, getting right. Well, it, right. It, you know, when you look at our jobs sometimes, it, you know, and it's difficult because we have to re- represent you. And then we have to – we're also required by law to represent the insurance company. Right, of course. So. Do, do you hear of this kind of scenarios all the time, though? Every Is this very day. common? Mm-hmm. Every day. All the time. All the time. And, and we consistently with underwriters have to tell the story, have to look for the right, you know, and, and if they do have an exposure to it, there are other outlets for it. Like if he did have a true medical device exposure, you know, then maybe he couldn't go to, you know, one of the standard markets out there. But there are definitely carriers that specialize and focus on it. Aviation is probably oh. the one that is is the, the one that it's misclassified. It's, it, it's misclassified. People are really worried about it because if they do anything in aviation, yeah. the carriers run from it. Right. Uh, however, if it is a critical component, there are markets out there that specialize. Then you have to in, buy aviation for, product liability. That's coverage. it. And we just basically go to the right market and make sure the coverage is pr- pr- uh, placed appropriately. Well, I, you know, I have a question because this is really opening my eyes to a lot of things. What, what are the areas that you see that are the most misclassified? So, you know, what I'm trying to do is wake up one of our listeners and our fans out there that has a scenario where the, not necessarily in medical device or implantable metal medical devices, but something that you guys have heard of multiple times and you always say they're always being misclassified because of this this and this uh i would have to go to property coverage so if i'm going to look at the biggest concern to manufacturers especially a single location manufacturer is to make sure that their property insurance is 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 done appropriately and actually matches what their exposures are and what the what their operation is um, we see that routinely and what I'm saying is that like the guy would be underinsured or have a bad a, a poorly written insurance policy covering his property covering his business interruption which is the disability payments essentially to the care protecting the the the, uh, the PL right it protects your 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 profit and loss statement it pays the care the company if the company can't make any products because it was a fire or something else what we see routinely is that that part of the insurance is just poorly written it's poorly done the number the the coverage is not accurate to what the operation is and so there's coverage gaps that if god forbid that company would have a loss the policies wouldn't pay the way that the owners think that it would pay Mm-hmm. It's going to pay, it's going to short them on the payment. Now this is why it's a big concern. Single location manufacturing, okay, produces the product out of one spot yep. using machinery. Yep. We refer to it as the goose, right? The goose with the golden egg is that's the machinery that's if that is generating the revenue. If that right. machinery is not working properly and is not functioning, then the company's not doing what the company is meant to do. And that's make that product okay, to so make let's, money. Okay, so let, let me think this scenario for me in my shop. Let's say we had a huge electrical storm and 90% of my equipment gets blown out. Mm-hmm. And I call the machine tool um, manufacturer or the guy that's going to take care of the machine. They say, those motors are going to take three months mm-hmm. t- to come in right. from overseas. Mm-hmm. What do you mean three months? 
I, those machines are creating revenue for my company. That's right. So how how would this particular scenario work in my favor? Well, what would happen is, number one, is the policy you have in place, okay, would pay for your loss of profits, pay your continuing expenses. 100%. So yes. we, we would just look back and, right. and see what our but revenue But what else we do, too, is you can engage, especially you, because you're such a high-profile person in the manufacturing arena in Chicago, you can engage friendly competitors to make your product, and we will also pay that additional cost involved where you still make your margins. So oh, you, you take care of your okay. customer, right? Yep. And we would pay whatever you would lose on that situation. The insurance company wins out because that's called an extra expense uh loss and the insurance company wins out because it really lowers your business income loss overall loss but for you the, the main concern is taking care of your customer so he doesn't That's look it. look well, elsewhere and so going going back to your original question though okay. jim okay is when you're looking at misclassification and we're really focusing on a product liability the what we're looking at with product liability coverage is that the cost involved is pretty light relative to the program what we're looking at and talking about here is whether or not you're an acceptable risk so whether or not you're an acceptable risk to the insurance company and once we get you accepted to an insurance company and they understand the product liability exposure those numbers drop drastically so it's not it's not really the main point of your insurance cost Okay. So that was one of the things that you see. Why not, w anything else that comes to your mind right away, Mark? OSHA compliance. Yeah, okay. OSHA compliance is big. And, uh, and you know, it's, an on, it's always a journey. It's never a destination. And we, we kind of preach that also because safety, things change. Operations change. Um, you know, new machinery, movement of machinery, uh, different mach products OSHA that you're making. OSHA oh, rules. So it's yeah. always, Every day. always changing. They're so now publicizing everybody's 300 log. Yeah. Over 20 lives. I'm sorry, what is this again? OSHA uh, next year is going to publicize everybody's 300 log if you have over 20 employees. Can you clarify what a 300, 300 log, log is? I don't is know what that your is OSHA either. log you keep for oh, your OSHA accidents. Yes. Yep. Okay, so yep. if you have over how many employees? 20. Wow. They're going to publish it? It's going to be public record. Oh, wow. You're kidding me. No. And if it's over 100, they're going to really give you quite a bit of information yeah. on the company. One other thing I want to answer. Sounds like a whole other subject yeah. matter. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a future podcast. We'll come back for that discussion. We'll bring, we'll bring our safety guy. Yeah, that sounds like a future podcast. So a, a few weeks ago, Jason and I had uh, Scott McPherson on the show, mm -hmm. and Scott talked about crisis management and, um, and, and those particular issues and how to mitigate that and prevent it, you know, like Scott said. It's not when it's it's going to happen eventually. It's just how big or how small it's going to be. So let's just you know I'm I'm always confused on when you call the insurance company. So, I mean obviously, in in the in the show and what we were highlighting on that it was a major it was a death. So you know of course he had to call OSHA and of course he had to call the insurance company. But I'm always concerned or I'm confused. And when, you know, when is the appropriate time to call the insurance company and tell them that we had an issue? You know what I mean? Is it, is it the, any Right time? away. Call, well, if you have a broker, call the broker immediately. Okay. Immediately. And, and let you decide right. we'll what, have that what the next step should be. Right. See, that's really important because I think, I think being 
an owner of a manufacturing company and being on this side, we're a little afraid to call the insurance companies because we don't want our rates to go up, right? Right, right. So I think sometimes a lot of uh, the general public is a little hesitant to pick up the phone and make that call. But of course, you you're really on our side. That's right. right. We and, and what, believe me, we've seen it before. Right. Right. So I think that's really important that we get that out there to the people listening that you guys are on our side and you're going to try and help us and and mitigate the cost and the exposure yes. to yes. the. You know what we want to do is make sure that the policy you spent money on, uh, you know, it's a contract and it reacts the way it's made to. You know, the way it's written. Mm-hmm. And that's our job is to help guide you, direct you. I mean, you call us up and say, this is the situation I have. We'll talk you through, you know, maybe other solutions to it. Maybe it was a subcontractor who did the damage to your to your product. Right. We, we talk through alternative sources other than just saying we need to file a claim. We'll talk through the claim. And in, in most cases, uh, if you have coverage that applies and, you know, it's not a small little tiny claim, um, we would immediately file a claim for an insurance company and start shepherding that through to make sure that, that you're getting taken care of. Very interesting. Very interesting. Did you learn anything, Jason? Yeah. No, I, I definitely learned something. I know. It's, it's, really, it's always good information, and I hope that we've um, equipped and inspired you know, a manufacturer out there to learn a little bit more and um, this reclassification or misclassification seems to be you know, an ongoing thing that uh, really needs to be uh, address. Yeah, I mean, to be quite honest with you, I, I thought I knew a little bit about insurance and I didn't know how Mark and Steve were going to answer Rob's question. So I'm, I'm quite thrilled by that. So that's great. Thank you guys. Well, we're glad we can help and we appreciate, you know, best of luck to your listeners. Thanks. Thanks. So um, the one thing that we want to bring to our listeners attention is that if they want to get a hold of Mark and Steve, you guys actually have a specific um, website where where. Um, the manufacturing community, the metalworking nation can get information about manufacturing risks. So if you go to dhmfgrisk.com, you can get a hold of these guys and ask them questions. Great. There, thanks. Can they, can they, is there an uh, email there? And they sure. Can there's click contact and, information there. They can. For both of you? Yes. Yes. Okay. It'd be pretty I'll, silly to have a website without, you know, being able to get a hold of somebody. <laughs> right, Jim? <laughs> I, yes. We know. You're, you're talking to the guy, right? It'd be like the, a car, car machine website without a, you know, a opportunity to, to get a quote, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, you could definitely get a hold of Mark and Steve at dhmfgrisk.com. Thank or you very can, much. You can connect with them on LinkedIn, too, right? Yes. Correct. And we'll have all the links on the um, the Making Chips site, too, for this particular episode. If the Metalworking Nation has other questions specifically about risk, um, we would love to hear about it. You we know, would. We'll, we'll bring Mark and Steve back on. You bet. Absolutely. Great. Thank you very much. Thank You're you. Welcome. Thanks for being here, guys. You know, that's great. I, I really enjoy these kind of episodes where I get a little bit of exposure, too, because, you know, I, I've been in this industry for you know quite a few decades now, and I swear I learn something new every day, and um, I'm really glad that Mark and Steve are here to be able to equip and inspire me and all of the listeners and Metalworking Nation out there. So I want to tell them how they can get a hold of us if they need to reach out to us. Yeah, I would say the best way to get a hold of um, Jim and I is on LinkedIn. That's where we're, we're going to be the most active. So find us on LinkedIn. Um, we also we post a lot of pictures on Instagram and go to makingchips.com. Yeah. That's going to be the best place to go. Yeah. I also want to share with everybody that we're going to officially be moving into our own studio in the next few months. I sure hope so. I, yeah. It's been available for a while. We just haven't had the time to get it together. It's, it's we got to do that. It's tough. Ryan, can you help us with that? 
He's nodding his head, yes. Yes. Um, but uh, hopefully they'll be able to see us soon on a YouTube channel and uh, and listen to us on all the outlets um, that we're currently on right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. But one other thing, too, is Ryan's still waiting for that laptop, so we have that Patreon account out there. If you go to makingchips.com forward slash Ryan, uh, if you could be so generous to donate 5 bucks to his account, and uh, we'll make sure he gets that brand-new Apple uh, that he's looking at. Yeah, three hundred dollars. Just said three hundred buck. Yay! Yeah, we we need a bell. You know, like a bartender when they get a tip, they always ring the bell. We should ring the bell. You know. Yeah, I mean, no, next, that's great. Next week when we when we record, I'm going to ring bell, and every time somebody does it, <laughs> nice, ring it, <laughs> nice. Anyway, what does my dad always tell me? If you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam, bam. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear and we'll see you next time on Making Chips. I'm going to kind of cut here. Pronounce your name for me. Your last El name. Alberico. Alberico. Okay. I didn't want to screw that up. <laughs> <laughs> um, our our other guest, Mark, Mal- Mark Alberico. <laughs> it's <laughs> Mark Alberico. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have a hard time with this. That's okay. Mark Alberico is a licensed professional insurance broker with extensive expertise in risk. Cl- ah, now I can't talk either. Your, your last name's really screwing me up, Mark. <laughs> hey, once I, yeah, once you get it, it's like, did you did you say Lorenzini? <laughs>